Hi, thanks for tuning in. For supplemental information to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide, for behind-the-scenes recaps, for my thoughts and feelings on the episodes, for relationship do's and don'ts, life lessons, words of wisdom, if you consider me wise, then please follow me over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Eric Payne and subscribe to my YouTube channel. That'll be the place where you can get all the behind the scenes and the podcast extras. Wolves are opportunists. They test their prey, sensing any weakness or vulnerability through visual cues and even through hearing and scent. Contrary to ambush predators that rely on the element of surprise and a short and intense burst of energy to secure their prey, wolves are endurance or coursing predators. They chase their prey, often over longer distances, sometimes even for a few miles, in order to find the right animal or the right opportunity. In no way was I a monk. Yeah. I was trying to do the straight and narrow. I was trying to be with one person at a time. Relationships worked. I mean, some dating experiences worked, like newsroom reporter lady, for a little while. Others didn't at all. I practiced celibacy in the past. I believed in no sex before marriage, whether I practiced it, I believed in it. And I advocated for it, whether I put it into practice in my own life or not. But there was something else, something else that I always had in my back pocket. Didn't necessarily use it very much, but it was something that was always there. Something that allowed me to always never have to be alone if I didn't want to be alone. And this thing that I used to do, because I don't do it anymore, was so, I don't want to put a term of evil on it, but it was so, whatever it was, that it, it, it made me a hypocrite. Why a hypocrite? Because here I am, a man who is mentally and mentally devastated and almost emotionally destroyed by divorce. Here I am a man who believes to a certain extent or question whether or not my ex-wife was faithful to me in the end or maybe even throughout our marriage physically uh, faithful to me. But as a newly divorced man, a relatively newly divorced man, I had a handful, more like a couple, of married women that I either slept with or messed around with whenever I wanted. Whether I was dating someone or whether I was not. These were get-out-of-jail-free cards or jokers, trump cards that I was always able to slap down on the table when I was weary from my solitude desirous of indiscriminate, judgment-free affection and unwilling to build a new relationship. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree in getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, 
Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTech beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Messing with the marriage wasn't something that I came upon post-divorce. Messing with the marriage was something that I was well-versed in. Something that I had done in my younger life before serious girlfriends and before marriage. Matter of fact, the first time was when I was in New York City. And I was young, dumb, and full of, as my old mother-in-law used to say, I'm not going to finish that. It was 1996. I was 25 years old. And I was attending a birthday party at Birdland on the corner of 105th and Broadway. Birdland's a jazz club. One of my boys... He was turning, I don't even remember, 30-something, maybe, I think 30, and it was the big 3-0. I was 25, maybe he was 28, I don't know, it doesn't even really matter. But Birdland was this dope club, they have one on 44th Street now, or it's, you know, that was one of the other locations, which is more, in my opinion, touristy, so I never frequented that one. I was on, I, I attended the one, I attended, I patronized the one on 105th and Broadway. Why? Because it was uptown. It was on the edge of Harlem, or technically was still Harlem. It was glass picture windows, long tables, sexy high back booths. Uh, it was dope. It was dark, and it was jazz. My dad had been trying to hit me to jazz forever, and then it finally took in the year that, you know, there was this jazz explosion. I mean, I met Dave Brubeck. All this stuff happened to me when I first got to New York, and I fell in love with jazz so here I am and my man invited me to his birthday party but I can't or his girlfriend actually invited me to his surprise birthday party and by the way get you a girl if you're a guy listening to this or someone with a partner get you someone who throws you surprise birthday parties this woman has been throwing this man surprise birthday parties for decades now and now she's his wife and it's just dope to watch how how all in she is for her husband anyway I didn't need an excuse to go to Birdland I love the place it was just sexy and I felt sexy in it. And I was feeling myself. I had a little bit of muscle. Um, still had hair. My fade was tight. My lines were sharp. I walked up in the club with my frat brother, Nunu. He's all, he plays the same semester as me at another school. And we were thick as thieves at the time. <laughs> and I walked up into the club in slow motion. Or at least I thought I was. I mean, the way I strolled up in there, I might as well have been walking in slow motion. It was absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, I went up and said what's up to my my other friend who, you know, was the birthday boy. And we sat down. We ordered food. You know, that's back when dropping hundreds of dollars on dinner was nothing. And it wasn't even about being able to afford it. That just, you know, I was in New York. We had been acclimated to wasting our money like that. So... I'm chilling. I'm spending time with my boy. One of my other frat brothers is there. We're all hanging out. 
and out of the corner of my eye, my right eye. So imagine it. It's dark. It's blue. It's a big picture, tinted picture, picture window behind us. And there's this long booth that we're sitting at. You know, I mean, not booth, but, you know, one side is booth. The other side, well, not one side is booth. That's not a booth. One side has a high back, cushiony half booth. And the other side is chairs. I'm sitting on the side with chairs. You know what I'm talking about. Out the corner of my eye, to my right eye, I see down the length of the table and then up on another level. And at the other level, I see some women. I don't know why I picked them out in this dark spot, but I see them. And they're sitting at a circular booth. They're actually sitting at a booth. And one in particular looks good to me. But I'm not there yet. I'm not where I am now. And I still believed in being, I still was too shy and opted to be picked than to do my research and pick. Nunu, on the other hand, has no shame, had no shame. I don't know if he does or not. We haven't spoken in a while, but he had no shame. So I was like, yo, Nunu, what up, E? You see that over there? He looked, he was like, yeah. I said, I mean, why don't you go see what's up? I mean, this is cool and all. I mean, we're talking low because obviously we had a party at a table, not a like a loud party. We had a restaurant. So I kind of muttered to him. I said, look, why don't you go see what's up over there and see if we could do some sort of shy boy thing. Shy boy from Five Heartbeats. So I'm the shy boy. He's not. Let me introduce you to my shy brother. Shy boy, not shy boy, shy brother. Let me introduce you to my shy brother. But I was also afraid because Nunu was the type of dude to do exactly what Leon did in the movie, which was get the girl. He left. He like, you know, got his, you know, he ate as much food as he was going to eat, excused himself from the table and departed. I'm joshing and cracking jokes and laughing and just being a part of the, the table where I'm at. And I realized I'm like, he ain't coming back. I look up and this dude is cutting cake at their table and handing it out to them. I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, what the hell? So I get up. By this time, I'm done with my food. And I, I stroll over there. And I said, hey, hey, uh, frat, what's up? He said, oh, let me introduce you to uh, my friends. So he introduced me to these three women that were sitting there. And the one I had had my eye on that I had locked in on was turning 30. She was butterscotch, honey, whatever that golden kind of color she had freckles her hair was tied was uh, brushed down into a really tight ponytail that looked incredibly small she had full full lips and she had like these greenish eyes she just looked different i didn't notice any of that from a distance all i saw was a table with three women and one that i might like i didn't see all this detail up close and see all the different textures of the different hues of brown inside of her face, gold and brown and the freckles and all that. I didn't see any of that. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I sat down and I joined them. We talked. Hey, blah, blah, blah. We all chit chatted, had a good time. We just laughed. I mean, that's just what you do. You meet people, you, you crack jokes, you laugh. At the point that I was at that point in my life, I didn't know what I had. I didn't know what I had. And I didn't know what I didn't have. And everything was fun. 
Even when I thought it wasn't fun, everything was fun. So we sat there, we talked and laughed the night away to the point that the original group came up and said, hey, uh, we about to clear out. You need to tally up. Oh, yeah, no problem. So I went back to the table. I grabbed my other frat brother that I that I that was from my school that was there. Um, Nunu wasn't from my school. My other frat brother was from my school and grabbed him and pulled him to or rather graduated from my school because we were all grown. I pulled him over and he joined us. It was three women. It was three guys, three women. He had a girlfriend. I knew that he was just going to be he was going to be perfect as the perfect gentleman. We stayed. The party that we originally came for left. And after a while, they needed to figure out what to do next. And they said, hey, we're going to go to Nell's. Y'all want to go with us? Father's Day is only a couple weeks away. Check out the Father's Day inventory of T-shirts, mugs, and aprons all available at my merch store and get something for that man, whether it's your father, your husband, a new dad, a friend, or a man you simply admire and let him know that he matters. Order now while supplies last at E-P-A-Y-N-E dot M-E slash P-O-D-M-E-R-C-H. That's epain.me slash pod merch. The link is included in the show notes. Now back to the show. Nell's was further downtown on 14th Street. It's a famous club that unfortunately is no longer open. And they had hip hop in the basement. You know, we were like, bet. Squared up with Birdland and left. Stood out on the curb and they got a cab for us. We all piled in on top of each other. And the thing about that is that that was back in the day when cabs weren't picking black men up in New York City. So we stood back, the women hailed the cab, and we all piled in. And they zipped the, the cabbie zipped us downtown, laughed the whole way, scrunched up on top of each other. I think somebody was sitting on somebody's lap. I don't even remember, but it was ridiculous. And then we ended up at Nell's, and everybody paired up. And I paired up with the uh, butterscotch honey. <sighs> Over the course of the evening... I came to realize, or I was informed rather, that her butterscotchitness, that's not a word, had to do with her being Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican, I think she was Port, she was Afro, Afro-Puerto Rican. She was beautiful. And uh, I come by my love of big hair and curly hair naturally because we were dancing, doing whatever, dancing. And she got hot. She was wearing a sundress that was kind of formless. And, you know, we're dancing together, blah, blah, blah. She backs up into me to dance closer to me. You know, she puts her back to me and backs up into me. And then I got a full understanding of, for lack of a better way to put it, what I was working with. She was, she had a lot of body that was just going very unassumedly along in her long, long dress. I don't think it was a sundress. It was kind of like, I'm a guy, so I'm a butcher this. It was kind of like a caftan without legs. So it was, it was a long dress, but it was just kind of formless. Anyway, she undid her ponytail, which was so tiny. I mean, this thing was like maybe two inches high, two inches long. It was like a little teeny tiny knot. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't care. I mean, my thing on hair is that I just like for it to be combed or natural. Um, but I don't care if you have locks. I don't care if it's long. I don't care if it's short. I just would prefer if possible as a person of color that it be natural. Prefer not. I'm not saying I prefer that you do it. I'm saying that's my preference. So, um, you know, to each his own. She undid her ponytail and a lion's mane of hair came out. It was everywhere. It was wavy, curly. It looked like the sun. And I looked at her like, where did all of that come from? 
she was amazing. <sighs> we danced all night till we were hot and sweaty. Everybody went their separate ways. I had taken the train. My man took the train. I don't know where he went. And my other boy from college, my homeboy from college, uh, he left too. And then it was just me and her together. Me and Butterscotch Honey were, were there together. And she gave me her number. And we began to talk over time and connect really quickly. She was 30 years old. She tripped over the fact that she was having these conversations with a 25-year-old. I was too young for her. She was just right for me. But here's the other part. She was married. And she told me straight up, yo, listen, I'm married. And I said, but you ain't had no ring on. She said, yes, I did. And I was so ignorant that because it didn't have a diamond, I was like, but but it didn't have a diamond in it. She said, how's that? What's that got to do with it not being a wedding ring? And I thought about her ring and she had a running. She had a, a ring on. It just had a stone in it, a gemstone and not a, a wedding ring. I mean, not a diamond. Sorry. I was like, well, shit, she's married. Like, what do I do? So I talked to a couple of my frat brothers about it, because at that time, uh, my frat brothers was comprised 90 percent of all my friendships. And they were like, yo, it's cool. You know, it's cool. Like, she seems like she's cool. She seems like, you know, a good person. No, you can't sleep with her, though, because, you know, her husband's going to kill you. <laughs> and I said, I don't know where the husband is, actually. She claims he travels a lot for work and he's never home. Yo, leave her alone. You do not want to mess with that. All right. I, 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 I. The decision had already been made before I was advised what not to do. We met up that following Friday at a Chinese restaurant that the frat brother who told me her husband would kill me had recommended to me. So me and my butterscotch, butter pecan reekin honey go to the restaurant. We sit down. We order, of course, wontons and duck sauce. And in comes my frat brother and his wife. <laughs> I don't think they had gotten married yet, but she eventually would become his wife. And they come in. They sit down. He's like, what's up, E? I was like, oh, my God. What up, yo? What's going on? They sit down. They mind their business. And I said, oh, yeah, that's one of my people's blah, blah, blah. So we talk. Me and old girl, we talk. We have a good night. And the night never ended. The night never ended. And she put it on me in ways that I can't describe here because this isn't that kind of podcast. And I don't think I would do it anyway. And it was just an amazing experience. One that she and I continued to indulge in. Our relationship got completely out of control because the more attached she became to me, the more detached I became from her. Why? Because she was married and it started. The, I, I started to shut down because I knew she always had some place to go. She I don't know what she was thinking. I remember her warning me. She said, hey, look, I'm married, so nothing can come of this. And I remember saying back to her. Hey, look. I get it. But to know me is to love me. So watch yourself. I said this at 25 years old. And she said, oh, shit. <laughs> and she got caught up. She said, she, she started saying stuff. 
you know, eventually you're going to get tired of this and you're going to get tired of me. You're going to get tired of me always leaving. You're going to get tired. And she was right. Because she was taking. Yeah, I was getting. But she was taking. She was having her cake and eating it too. She was living two lives. Her man, wherever he was, she got it in with me while he was away. And when he was back, turns out that they were not in the, uh, they were in a, uh, abusive relationship or she was in an abusive relationship unfortunately but when he was back she lived the life that she lived with him our relationship ended at Anna's plaza for all of you new new yorkers who are listening when i told her just to test the water that i had gone out on a date and she sat there we were at the food court and she sat there and looked at me and said how could you I was like, what? what are you talking about? Your ass is married. I leaned into the table and said that. She said, but I told you I'm not sleeping with him. And I looked at her and I said, yo, you sound real stupid right now. What are you talking about? You don't wake up with me. You go home every time we get together. I'm not trying to hear you. Yeah, she wasn't trying to hear me either. She left her food and me at the food court. And we didn't speak again for another year. <laughs> but that is the conundrum of mar- messing around with the marrieds. They have relationships with you that you can't have with them. And they don't want you to necessarily go anywhere. Or if they do, it's so absurd for them to try to even express that you should be doing something else. That they just bottle it up inside until it becomes rage. So why married women when there's so many women out there? Why married women when you've been through, potentially, when you think you've been through infidelity? Well, kind of like James Bond said, married women aren't easy, but they're unattached because they have their own lives. They typically have children. They have jobs. They've got husbands that they got to cater to. They give you a slice of them without all the rest of it because you're the fantasy Because then they get to be the fantasy in whatever it is they've got cooking in their minds. They particularly understood my pain because more likely than not, in order to want to be spend time with me as a married woman, stuff wasn't right at home. And here I am. I'm this guy who understands what it means to be broken, who understands what it means to want affection and desire affection. And they were just really good at providing affection because they were escaping their own experience. So the time that I spent with the married women that I spent time with was all good because it was their opportunity to throw themselves mindlessly, needlessly, and shamelessly into something else. But it always ended. They always went home. They always took a call in another room or pointed their finger at me not to say anything, to not rustle a sheet, to not drop a plate to not do anything and for me that got tired so fast forward back to back fast forward back I don't even know how that works fast forward to present day times there was someone that I had worked with at a few jobs before who essentially made herself available to me 
and I resisted and I resisted and I resisted and I resisted. And she pursued 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 until one day I just couldn't take it anymore. And I gave up the ghost. And I slept with her. It began as a kiss. That was the chink in my armor. And then it just escalated over time. The first time we slept together, I cried because I was divorced and I felt like this wasn't what I wanted for myself. I didn't want to be in a situation where I didn't have my wife, I didn't have my family, and then I'm sleeping with someone who has a family. I didn't want that. And I felt like I was damning myself or blocking my blessings or just whatever. And the, 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 the overload of all of it caused the tears. I didn't boohoo cry, but tears started streaming down my face. But you know, once you start convincing yourself that it's okay, once you start looking the other way in your own life, you start doing stuff again and again and again and again. And then you start noticing other people around you that do that, that, that qualify in that same space. So I, I started to get particularly good at picking out the brokenhearted married women and being a friend to them. That sleazy, snaky, dangerous stuff. One of the reasons why I'm Team Lawrence from Insecure is that in the first season when Tasha was giving him, was saying stuff to him at the bank like, oh man, if you were my man, I know what I would do. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I was hearing when I was still married. That's the kind of stuff that I was hearing when I was single. I don't know how you got divorced. I don't know how anybody could leave you. I don't know. And I'm not saying that that was said with some sort of like sinister intention. I think it was said as the grass being greener on the other side. There was another young lady who was on the deteriorating fringes of her relationship. It hadn't gotten to divorce yet. But the same thing. Did I sleep with her? No. Did I mess with her? Yes. I asked her out to lunch. We talked. She started to unload about her husband. I just listened. And the door was wide open. So anybody listening, just be wary when you're in a fractured or, fractured or fracturing relationship to be wary because you're giving off energy. And there are people, sharks in the water, as I like to call it, I'm referring to myself as one as well, who can pick up on that energy and speak on it. Nowadays, when I spend time with someone, you know, whether it's a business meeting or a casual conversation or whatever, and they start complaining about their husband, I'm like, all right, well, look, you know, I hope it all works out for you. I'm not sure if I'm the person that you should be sharing that with. Uh, why don't you talk to him? Why don't you seek therapy, a counselor, a pastor, pray on it? It's just not something that I choose to do anymore. I mean, you know, for always in the forefront of my mind is like, Dag, you know, I didn't, I never wanted to be that dude that did to, that does to some other guy, whether he's right or wrong, whether he's in the right or wrong, whether whatever, I, I don't care. It ain't got nothing to do with me. Like they stuff ain't got nothing to do with me. And I said, they stuff. I never wanted to be the guy that participated in the ultimate breakup of a relationship. I never I never even wanted to be uh, extracurricular, whether it broke up or not, because I'll be honest with you. The one person who I worked with a few jobs ago. I said, look, 
you need to just work on your relationship and I need to just get my life together, blah, blah, blah. And she said to me with a straight face, unblinking, who said anything was wrong at home? I just know what I want and I want you. What? I said, oh my God, you are going to hell and I don't want to be on the freight train to hell with you. That's what I thought. I didn't say it. And the thing about that kind of statement is that it's too easy to say, oh, well, you know, basically what she's saying is that, you know, if not you, it's going to be someone else. So it might as well be you. Nah, man, let that be somebody else. You don't need the smoke. You don't need the drama. You don't need the wor you don't need the worry. You don't need the emotional toll that it takes on you. Sometimes I was emotionless about it. But more times than not, I would wake up in my bed alone after having a tryst with one of the married women I dealt with and be like, yo, this feels terrible. And they ain't even around to make pancakes for. Girl, he made you pancakes? Girl, he made me pancakes and he made me pancakes from scratch. Girl. It ain't worth it. It's not a judgment call. That's a personal preference. It ain't worth it. It's not worth it for me. But it would take me several more married people to not only recognize this, but have the courage, the bravery, and the willingness to stop acting on how I felt and start doing what I personally believed was right. James Skurlocks, David McAtee, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey. Brianna Taylor, Botham Jean, Laquan McDonald, Trayvon Martin, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Oscar Grant, Sean Bell. This may sound like a lot of names, but it doesn't even represent a meaningful percentage of the amount of lives that have been lost needlessly to police brutality and racism. These are fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, aunts and uncles, cousins, contributing members of society, meaningful members of society. Those black lives mattered. My black life matters. My children's black lives matter to not be snuffed out with severe brutality based on severe suspicion, based on bias, based on fear, based on dogma and ideology that's based on nothing. Black lives matter in this moment, before this moment, and after this moment. Asian lives matter. Russian lives matter. Corsican lives matter. Cossack lives matter. Irish lives matter. Japanese lives matter, Italian lives matter, black lives matter, not at the expense of any other lives, but black lives in and of themselves matter. I don't have the answers, but enough's enough. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, if you'd like to understand a little bit more, if you want to get a little bit better of a lens on this issue and how these issues affect people of color, black men, Specifically, please feel free to visit my Instagram where the last couple of videos I talk about these issues, how they affect me directly and people who look like me 
think like me, speak like me, but mostly it doesn't even matter. Just look like me. Thank <laughs> you.